0: Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right this morning? You lost that hour, which really for us, at least for me, is my excuse of why I'm tired for at least the next 30 days, right? You come to April, hey, I'm just so tired. Why? Well, we lost an hour you know, remember that, right? That's just that's just what we do. Uh, so yeah, as Brian said, my name's DJ. I'm the associate minister here at the summit. Super excited that you're here. I'm really excited to dive in this morning. Last week, we began this series uh, in the book of Jonah, and I'll echo what Dwayne said earlier. Brian did an amazing job taking us through all four chapters of how to really unpack this story, because it's not just a story about a fish. It's not just a story even about Nineveh, and I would argue it's not even a story About Jonah. The story is about us. It's about God's people, right? It's it's about how we so often lose our way. The word that Brian brought up last week was this word, contempt. And that's really kind of stuck with me over this past week that that so often for us we have this contempt and, and I would even say this longing to bring about God's judgment. And to try to withhold his grace when it comes to people that we disagree with or we're at odds with. And as you dive into this book, this narrative, as we dissect this life of this prophet, that really what begins to happen, at least in, in my own life, is that I begin to look more and more like Jonah than I really want to. And so over the next few weeks, uh, what we're going to do is is look at each chapter individually and and kind of pick it apart and, and see how we can take this story, this life, even the call and the response of Jonah and the sailors and Nineveh and how we can as believers use that to really fully embrace not just the mission of God, but the character of God and the love of God that has been poured out on his creation. And so I want to start uh, with this question. How do you deal with interruptions? How do you deal with interruptions? To quote my great friend, Brian Agavino, with whom I've learned a lot, it depends, right? It depends. It depends. See? There you go. Seven years working with this guy, and that is my number one thing. You answer every question like that, it depends. But it depends on what you're doing, right? It depends on what's being interrupted. All of us have had moments, right, in your job or at home when you're working on something or you're, you're putting your mind into something that you really don't want to, but it has to be done, and somebody comes along and says, hey, you have a second? And you say, I have all the time that you need. You want a coffee? You want, let's go get coffee, actually. I'm kind of hungry. Let's go get some lunch while we're at it, right? There are those kinds of interruptions that we welcome. Now, there's other interruptions that we say, no, let's stay away from that, Right? It, for me, it's a Chiefs game, like I know this probably said, thank you, this says a lot about probably my soul and its continued brokenness, but my kids learn from an early age, dad's watching the game, somebody better be bleeding, right? <laughs> and even that, your best luck is probably still mom, like in that situation. I, uh, years ago, I was living in Atlanta, and I, I had to drive down to the city to go to a meeting, a, a really important meeting, actually, and, and I was driving uh, down uh, 75, which is a major highway in Atlanta, and I was driving in my truck, and I, the one thing that you have to know about me, I don't like nature, right? I mean, some of you know that there's a guy in, in my community group, him and I are on the same philosophy, like, we just leave nature alone. We feel like that's best, right? Um, and so I for sure don't like reptile creatures, Okay. <laughs> When we bought our house, when we were looking at it, one of the rooms in there had like, it was a room of reptiles, like snakes, there were even spiders in there, like just for an extra bonus. I loved the house, but almost did not buy it because I was like, how can you guarantee me that when these people move out, all of these creatures have went with them, right? And so I'm driving down down the highway, and I start feeling something on my foot. I know. (laughs) And so I keep driving. I'm like, oh, man, that's weird. That's weird. But I keep driving, right? My mind is focused on what's going on. And I feel it again. I'm like, okay, something's bizarre. And so then I'm like driving, but I'm also like looking down. And when I look down, I see this lizard run across my bare foot and disappear under the seat of my truck. Now. In our marriage, I don't know how things work in your family, but in our marriage, my wife deals with all reptile incidents. Like, that's just, it comes with the deal. She was not there. So I did the only thing I knew how to do. I pulled over on 75 in Atlanta. Cars whizzing past. And I was like, I'm just going to open the doors, and I'm just going to wait this sucker out. And that's exactly what I did. I stood there, I'm not kidding, I'm on the phone with Diana, my wife, I'm on the phone with her for about 30 minutes, and I'm like, tapping on the seat, like, trying to get this thing to go away, there was one point where I'm convinced we locked eyes, and he was like, bro, I'm not leaving, <laughs> like, this is my truck now, right? But I'll never forget, so eventually, yes, the lizard did go out of the truck, I got back in, I drove, I was about 45 minutes late for this meeting, and if you've ever been in a position, like, You can't make up this excuse, right? I'm sitting down with this guy, I'm like, man, I'm so sorry, I'm late. There was a lizard attack. It was a big deal. You'll probably see it on the news later, like some weirdo stood on 75 for 30 minutes. It was crazy, right? But it depends. It depends on what's being interrupted. Because the reality for all of us is we experience it all the time. Accidents happen, right? The phone rings just as you get into bed. Traffic or reptiles make you late. Just when you don't need another added expense, right? It seems like an appliance breaks at that moment. Sicknesses, illness change your carefully crafted plans. As a matter of fact, some of you probably even sitting right now, you had a perfect weekend plan on Friday. And now you look back, and the weekend went a lot different than you thought it would. But I think for us, here's the question. How do we handle those interruptions? How do we deal with those interruptions, big or small? Because I'm convinced of this, and I think... Jonah really helps lay this out for us. How we handle the things that we consider interruptions is a direct reflection on how much we truly rely on God. Because if I were to answer this question, my answer is poorly. I handle these kinds of events very poorly, oftentimes with frustration, with anger, with stress with anxiety. Oftentimes I handle them with blame on other people. And when I really flesh this out for me, the reason why I handle them in that way is because I think there's part of me that believes, well, it's just not fair. I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to be in this position. But how we handle the things that we consider interruptions really do reflect How much we truly rely on God. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning. I would encourage you either open your Bibles there or uh, if you have your phones, you can go to the summitstl.info and there's a sermon notes card there. You can follow along with us this morning. But Let's dive right in. The first three verses of the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I'm convinced that Jonah's writing this with a little humor because he knows how how awkward Tarshish is to say, so he puts it in as many times as he can, right? I don't know if you felt like that. Maybe that's just me. But I want to tackle an interesting question this morning, one that I would encourage you to process even on your own too, but it's this question. Does God interrupt? Does God interrupt? Now, I've wrestled with this for a few weeks now, and I can honestly say I've ping-ponged back and forth. Oh, yes, of course he does. Well, well I don't know. Oh, but yeah, he's got it. Well, well, maybe. But have you ever thought about God as an interrupter? Have you ever thought about God interrupting your life, your plans? And so one day I just, I started thinking through the the biblical narrative, just thinking through all these events, these lives that we have in Scripture. And, And so follow this train of thought with me for a second. You go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. You have a guy, Abraham, right? He's living his life He's doing whatever he was doing at the time, right? He's in his, his father's land with his family, and God comes to him, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, Arise, go from the land of your father. Go from your kindred, and go to the land that I'm gonna show you. And that starts this trajectory of God leading his people into the promised land. Fast forward the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, you have Moses who uh, he fled Egypt, right? Because he committed a crime of murder. He murdered an Egyptian, so he flees. He ends up uh, in this desert region of Midian. He's out tending to the flock. He sees this burning bush. He goes up to it. In Exodus chapter 3, we see God calling Moses through this bush, saying, Hey, I've heard the cries of my people, I've seen their suffering, and I'm choosing you to go to Pharaoh. And to release my people from their bondage. Go into the minor prophets, right? This is kind of where we're hanging out. Amos, another great minor prophet. He's a farmer. He's a shepherd. Even more than that, he's a farmer and a shepherd in the southern kingdom of Israel. So at this time, Israel was divided. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The two halves really didn't like each other. And so Amos is hanging out on his farm in the southern kingdom, and God calls him and says, Hey, I need you to go and preach a message to the northern kingdom, to people that aren't going to really welcome you very kindly. But I have a message that I need you to take. And then go to the New Testament, right? Mary Joseph. Hey, I know you guys have this great life planned out, but just so you know, Mary, you're pregnant. I mean, there's all these big deals. The list can go on and on and on, right? And I think I've come to this place, especially after looking at my own life and looking where God had brought me from, that I can say with absolute certainty, God is never interrupted. Hear that because it's extremely important. God is never interrupted interrupted. He's never caught off guard. He wasn't surprised by Adam and Eve. He wasn't surprised by the faithlessness of Israel. He wasn't surprised by the fleeing of Jonah. God is never interrupted because you have to ask yourself the question, what does interruption actually mean? It means this when you look it up. Interrupt means to stop the continuous progress of To stop the continuous progress of. And friends, I say with great confidence, God's progress is never stopped. It never has been. It never will be. God has had a plan since the beginning. And nothing that anyone can, will, or has ever done can hinder that. Boy, are we interrupted. Abraham, yeah, I know this is comfortable, but I'm going I'm to send you somewhere else. Moses, I know you're afraid of your past, but I'm going to send you right back there because I have a plan and a purpose. Mary, Joseph, I know you have this plan for your life, but I have a greater plan and a greater purpose. God is never interrupted. The difference is God has been working through one plan throughout history. The redemption and restoration of creation. We like to work within our own little microplans. We like to do what we want to do. Do what's easy for us, what's comfortable for us, what's, what's worthy for us. And there are times where those two things don't intersect. And God says, no, I have been working on this one plan and I want to use you. I want to use you to keep furthering that God is never interrupted. And so we see this in Jonah's life. God calls this Hebrew prophet from his home nation of Israel, says, hey, I'm going to send you out to this Gentile city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. And we can't, I I know Brian talked on it briefly last week, but it's really hard for us to wrap our mind around just how evil and dark this empire is. I mean, Nahum, who's another minor prophet, is going to come along years after Jonah, and he's going to preach a message of judgment against Nineveh. And in there, here's how he's going to characterize the city. He's going to say, Nineveh is like a heap of corpses. They're filled with dead bodies. This is not somewhere you take your family on vacation. This is a very dark, very ruthless, very brutal, very violent people. And God says, Jonah, I'm going to send you there. And I have in my mind, again, this is, this is kind of reading between the lines, and so you may have a different understanding, and that's totally okay. But I have this mind that when God comes to Jonah and says, I have a message for you to preach to Nineveh, maybe the worst part of Jonah is like, yes, now is the time. God, how are you going to destroy them? Fireballs? Please say fireballs. Right? You got another plague? But God says, no, I want you to go and preach this message of repentance. I want you to go and call out to Nineveh and call them to turn from their wickedness. And when you begin to think about it, this isn't logical for Jonah. Because in his mind, In his mind, if God saves Nineveh, which means God saves Assyria, which means for him, God is condemning Israel to destruction. And Jonah can't figure out how those are going to work. And so he flees. And he runs Because if you read in in 2 Kings chapter 14, we have these little micro-details of Jonah's life. That Jonah was actually a prophet before all of this happened. And he he prophesied during a time of a guy named Jeroboam II. And at this point in Israel's history, God gave Jonah a message saying, Hey, I want you to go and spread a message that Israel is about to to see some success. Their territories are going to expand. They're going to strengthen. There's going to be like this territorial revival that's going to happen. And so Jonah goes and he proclaims this message. And it's a pretty positive message. And so he feels like, hey, people like him. He's he's part of the king's court in this. He's the one that's proclaiming this great message from God that Israel is going to succeed. But now, now God is calling him to go and to preach a message of repentance to Israel's enemy. And this logically doesn't make sense to him. But if we're saying God is never interrupted, then what is? What is it within us that leads us to respond when God seems to work outside of our logic, outside of our plans? What leads us to respond with frustration, anger, anxiety, stress, denial? It's our self-righteousness. It's our self-righteousness. It's our belief that we are totally correct. And that we are morally superior. There have been a lot of times, especially recently, where I look at my own life and say, yeah, I'm 100% right and I know I'm better than them. And the beauty of this one plan that God has been working towards since the beginning is that God's plan will interrupt our own self-righteousness. Have you ever noticed that every act of disobedience has an excuse that's tied to it? Have you noticed this? You see it with kids all the time, right? Hey, why didn't you clean your room? Well, it wouldn't all fit in my closet. Hey, why'd you fail that test? Well, everybody else failed it too. Oh, so it's a community building experience, right? Right? And we could joke with that, but adults, we do it all the time. Right? Every act of disobedience that we have, we can justify to death. And we can tie an excuse to it. And it's no different when it comes to our Christian obedience. We as children of God, we know that we're called to obedience. We're called to obey the word of God, the statutes of God. We're called to live a life that is willing to be transformed into more Christ-likeness. But what happens when that goes against our logic? What happens when acting in obedience for us means that we have to sacrifice that which maybe we hold a little more closely. Our comfort, our money, our goals, our plans, maybe even our very lives. And Jonah, in Jonah, his, in his running from God, he finds himself in this interesting scenario that is revealing how much he holds above obedience to God. He leaves Joppa, he gets on a boat. He heads in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. And this part of the story is extremely interesting to me because he finds himself among, uh, with some sailors and, and they're caught in the middle of this fierce storm, this, this unimaginable storm. I mean, I generally hold the belief that like, and again, remember, me and nature, we just, we agree to not. And so, but I feel like if I'm on a boat with somebody who's experienced and they're scared, I'm not going to be like, dude, it's okay. We'll ride this out, no worries, right? So Jonah's on this ship with experienced sailors who are terrified for their lives. And Buddy's asleep at the bottom of the boat. Because the irony of self-righteousness is that it trusts in its own self. It trusts in its own feelings. It trusts in its own emotions, its own desires, its own logic. And in the end, it never sees the air of its own ways. I'm always right, and I'm morally superior. I think, I mean, we can, we can pick apart, and we will pick apart this story over the next several weeks, but I don't think... It's fear of Nineveh that's driving Jonah to flee. He doesn't strike me here as a guy that is filled with a spirit of fear. I think what it is, is, God, this doesn't make sense. And so I'm not going to do it. Because I'm right. And I'm morally superior than they are. And so as he's asleep, he's awoken by the captain. He's brought up to the rest of the crew. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And I love this line. The lot fell on Jonah. I don't know about you, but I can feel this tension As these guys are so afraid, they brought this new guy on the boat. He's asleep. The captain has to go wake him up, bring him upstairs. So they say, hey, let's cast lots to figure out whose fault this is. And God uses this weird superstitious thing to expose Jonah right there on the deck of the ship. And everybody is looking at him, thinking, you're the culprit. You're the guy. You're the one that has brought this calamity upon us. And standing there in the wind and the waves and the rain, Jonah and his self-righteousness are completely out in the open. He can't hide from it anymore. But I think what's amazing to me in, in this narrative is that all throughout this story, Jonah's actions are never just affecting him. They're never just affecting him. That in this moment, these sailors are affected. And church, I believe that when we live with the assumption that we have final authority... That we have the power to execute grace and execute judgment. Friends, we are not the only ones affected. That the outcast, the vulnerable, the marginalized remain affected. That the lost remain wanderers. That those who live this life thinking that they are unlovely or unworthy remain entangled. The needy continue to suffer. The problem is when we fail to align ourselves with God's global restorative and redemptive plan for creation, we continue in this stormy stormy turmoil of life, content in the bottom of a boat, unaware that we're about to die. And if that's the only thing that we feel, then that is hopeless. So I'm super thankful that the lesson doesn't end there. Because what happens next in this story is extremely important. So Jonah says, he says to these sailors, he says, hey, go ahead and throw me overboard. And what I love is that the sailors aren't, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. In my mind, that's what they sounded like. I'm not really sure why. I kind of went pirate on you there for a second. Just flashbacks of E.B. Hurry, hey, old matey. But they're, they're reluctant. They're reluctant to throw him over, but they throw him overboard and the sea calms. And I think what we see here, especially in the lives of these sailors in this moment, is that when we experience death to our self-righteousness, we experience an invitation to live in God's grace. Because that's what it seems happened to these sailors. Because after that, we're told that they start calling out to the Lord, that they're filled with a fear of the Lord, that they start offering sacrifices to the Lord. God worked in their life that some way, somehow, through exposing even Jonah's self-righteousness in the middle of a storm, he exposed the self-righteousness of the sailors to the point where they accepted an invitation to live in grace. And that speaks volumes because what's happening there is we still see a micro picture of God's global plan of redemption and restoration. That whether you're a sailor or a prophet, a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. When God works, he does it for a divine purpose. Yes, he exposes us. But he doesn't expose us without an invitation into his grace. And into his mercy I'm a big fan of a guy named Paul David Tripp he wrote this book called whiter than snow it's really good I highly recommend it but he says this he, he talks about this idea and, and and he's talking about interruptions he kind of puts it in the framework of struggles but he says this and I, I love this quote he says you and I don't live in a series of big dramatic moments right it's easy for us to think right we we, we hold on to the big things that have happened in our lives right whether good or bad. And so we kind of build up this mindset that we kind of live from one big moment to the next. But he says we don't careen from big decision to big decision. We all live in an endless series of little moments. The character of a life isn't set in 10 big moments. The character of a life is set in 10,000 little moments of everyday life. And I love this part. He says it's the themes of struggle that emerge from those little moments that reveal what's really going on in our heart. So let me go back to my original question. How do you deal with interruption? And as you look back, let's just say to those things that have derailed your plans over the last week, what's the common feeling that you had? Were you frustrated? Were you angry? Were you anxious? Were you worried? Were you stressed? Because it's through all of these little moments that reveal where are we really struggling to put our full reliance on the character, the mission, and the work of God. That as painful as it can be at times, part of God's plan is to reveal these things in our heart. I mean, go read the book of Romans. That's part of what Romans is all about. There's a passage in Romans chapter 5 says this, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's a message that we're to receive there. You and I were sinners. We were enemies. We were deserving of the wrath of God that needs to be exposed within us. But as I was reading this passage I was overwhelmed by the other half of the message that we are now reconciled to God by the death of his son. That we now rejoice in God through whom, because of Jesus, we now have reconciliation. Friends, I'm constantly looking to God to work within my own framework within my own context, within my own plan. You can play in this area, but don't mess with anything else. And friends, if I don't realize that, then I don't allow myself to be exposed in my self-righteousness. But more importantly, I don't allow myself to accept the invitation of God's grace and mercy. I was talking to somebody this week, and I loved what, what he said. He said, that re, or, or, uh, he said, repentance should never be fueled by our shame and our guilt. Hear that, because some of you really need to let that sit on you. Repentance should never be fueled by your shame and your guilt. Repentance is fueled because of the invitation to come and receive grace and mercy and forgiveness at the cross. Jonah chapter 1 ends this way, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Friends, that in a weird way is a picture of God's grace and mercy in the life of Jonah. That at times we have to be thrown into our turmoil. It is hard, it is dark to admit where we struggle. But it's throwing ourselves into that process that allows us to experience the great grace and mercy of God. But we'd be remiss if we didn't go to the words of Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is hanging out and he's, he's talking with some crowds and some Pharisees. And he says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And hang on to this. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Friends, Jesus waded into the depths of my darkness. He exposes me in my self-righteousness, but what he does is he gathers my shame and my guilt, and he piled it upon himself, and he hung on the cross, and he exposed me to his grace. Because while there is so much that we can still learn from the life of Jonah, we have to remember that someone greater than Jonah was here. That, yes, Jonah ran from his assignment, but Jesus willingly ran towards it. That, yes, Jonah went because ultimately he had to. Jesus came out of willful obedience to the Father. That later on we'll see Jonah sits on a hillside and he pouts. And he hopes for Nineveh's destruction. Jesus stands outside of Jerusalem and he weeps and he weeps for their salvation. Something greater then Jonah is here. Jesus is the truer and greater Jonah who spent three days in the earth only to come out and to bring an invitation to bring redemption, to bring restoration to creation. that, is God interrupted? No, never. But does God interrupt? And I would say, yes. And the greatest picture of interruption is at the cross, where our shame and our punishment and our guilt was interrupted. And that because of that, because we are exposed to that type of love, to that type of grace, to that type of mercy, we can now live with full reliance on God no matter what happens. That he is sovereign, he is in control, and that he is working for a greater plan and a greater purpose than you and I could ever imagine. Let's pray. God we, God, we come in a, in a posture of confession, God, knowing that there are areas, areas, God, where we try to close off from you. That there are aspects of our life, that there are points of our plan, God, that we consider sacred. And God, we confess that there are things in our life that we hold with a closed hand. But God, I pray. I pray that even right now, God, that the only thing that we would cling tightly to is the promise that you've given us. God, that you came, and you died, and you saved, and you redeemed, and you are working to restore your creation, God. And so might we, Hold our very lives, God, with an open hand, knowing that you, that you are in control, that you sit on the throne, that you came as the greater Jonah. Yes, to expose us. Yes, to reveal the darkness within us, God, but to show us more brightly the very heart of of who you are, of a gracious, merciful, loving, compassionate, forgiving father who runs to us before we even have the chance to say I'm sorry. God, might that be where we place our full, unhindered reliance on who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.